0: You're listening to the magnum version of the Savage Love Cast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're
1: stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony,
2: well, there's nothing you can't ask
0: on the Savage Love Cast. I've reached that stage of life, that kind of depressing stage of life where you're at the checkout aisle in the supermarket and you look at the Us magazine and you don't know who anybody is on the cover. You look at that and think, who the fuck are those people? And every once in a while, Jennifer Aniston will be in the corner or Meg Ryan like, oh, okay, phew, somebody I know. But weeks go by where I'm like, who the fuck is that? I have no idea. So last week when the story broke, the story, the one that everyone is still talking about, the leaking or the hacking of all of these Private personal photographs taken by young, beautiful female stars and and singers and performers and TV people. When all of that came pouring out, and everybody's talking about this long list, I think there's a hundred names on it. I didn't know who most of those people were. I'd heard of Jennifer Lawrence, heard of her, but really that was about it. And I, at what my first reaction, I'm really sorry to say, my first reaction was. God, I'm getting old. Just so how I feel when I see that Us magazine cover and I don't know who the fuck anybody is. I'm just like, fuck, I'm so old and so out of it. And so when I saw this list, you know, when it started popping around, I was like, who are these people? I have no idea. Uh, and my second reaction was, of course, outrage. It's horrible that that, that people's uh, privacy uh, was invaded in this way. And, you know, fuck all those people who are saying that nobody should take pictures of themselves that they don't want everywhere. These were pictures that people took and they didn't share they didn't just willy-nilly send them out into the world. Their, their phones were hacked. Their privacy was invaded. They were, in a way, sexually violated. And that's horrible. And there were calls, of course, for people to not look at the photos, to not compound the violation by sharing the photos or looking at them. And I refrained from looking at the photos, which was easy for me to do because they were all female stars. We'll see how my resolve is tested when there's a huge leak of male celebrity photos. And I have to admit, you know, a million years ago when nude photos leaked of Brad Pitt, I, I did look at those. We really do have a sick relationship with celebrities and the kind of hackers, and I don't want to paint a bullseye on myself, but the kind of people who would do this typically, you know, the cliche is, you know, people in their basement, hackers, computer geeks, a lot of what poisons our relationship with stars and celebrities is this combo platter of lust and resentment. It's why we punish porn stars. It's also why we delight sometimes in seeing celebrities fall and fail. But it is particularly toxic, I think, when you're talking about female celebrities because then you stir in sexism and you stir in male entitlement and you just get this vicious, vicious stew where people are at once attracted to someone like Jennifer Lawrence. They wish they could get with someone like Jennifer Lawrence or with Jennifer Lawrence herself. And they know that they can't, they know that they won't, they know that they never will. And that curdles into a kind of lust slash resentment. And that resentment gets the better of not all people who can't get a Jennifer Lawrence, but enough people who can't get Jennifer Lawrence, that there is then this wallowing in her sexual humiliation this desire to reach out with whatever tools you have at hand and hurt that person. And it is low and it is despicable. All that said, and this isn't a new thing for me to say this. I'm not just saying this in relationship to these stars and Jennifer Lawrence. I look forward to a time when we all have dirty pictures out there online. I look forward to a time when nobody can play gotcha with this shit. We all use technology to express ourselves sexually. Fuck you. A huge fuck you. Fuck you. To the purse-lipped dingbats on Fox News in particular who were slamming these celebrities for their foolishness, uh, for their lack of judgment, for their lasciviousness in that they took these pictures of themselves. Our phones are this intimate extension now of our lives. They are molded, welded into our lives and into our erotic lives. And people flirt online, people meet online, people date online. People crank up their partners online. People, adults, sexed, send each other dirty pictures. It's a wonderful tool. It's one way that people keep their relationships interesting and active. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We shouldn't be ashamed that we use this tool in that way. The people who should be ashamed are the people who would invade your privacy, the people who would share photos, the people who would steal photos, the people who would attempt to take someone down a peg, by sharing those photos with the world, by making public something that was meant to be private. Also, the people should be ashamed of themselves. The people who would attempt to shame the people who were taking those photos as opposed to shame the people who stole those photos. But I do look forward to a time when a stray sex can't ruin a politician's career. When it's no big deal that an actor has a nude shot out there because we live online because we flirt this way. And it is nothing to be ashamed of. And it is hard to keep control of our digital shit. It is hard to keep those photos in one place. Computers get stolen. Phones get lost. Sometimes you share photos with untrustworthy motherfuckers. And shit can get hacked. But as I've always said when we were talking about sexting and teenagers, it shouldn't be a big deal to have taken a dirty picture of yourself. It shouldn't be a big deal to have shared it. The shame, Dylan Sprouse, Disney star, swapped some dirty pictures online with someone he thought he could trust and that person released them. It was a mini scandal about a year ago. There wasn't a lot of sympathy for him at the time when his privacy was invaded. And he said the exact right thing. He said, the shame wasn't that I took the picture. The shame is that I trusted the wrong person. The shame isn't Jennifer Lawrence's or any of the other stars whose names I didn't know until last week. The shame is the hackers, and the assholes. It's their shame. And let's remember that. And then let's resolve to treat it as no big deal. People have bodies under their clothes. We all do. Just because someone has a body that you would like to see naked doesn't give you a right to hack into that person's phone to see it naked. But dirty pictures aren't the problem. Dirty minds, dirty souls, and dirty fingers. They're the problem. And now your calls. Hey.
1: Uh, My name is Gabriel. I'm a 32-year-old bisexual male. I've been in a marriage for seven years. I love this woman to death would go to the ends of the earth. I used to be uh, very conservative and very much ashamed of my homosexual side. Anyways, um, she recently said to me, because we have a mutual friend who used to be a stripper. she knew he was my type, but he's straight. But she just out of curiosity said, would you ever want to fuck him? and I thought, well, I mean, he's straight. I wouldn't want to. She said to me then that if I ever did want to get with a guy, she would have been fine with it. I mean, she will be fine. And that she knows that, you know, I have that side of me, and she doesn't have a penis. So, you know, as long as I come home and she's my number one person, and at the end of the day she knows that I'm hers and she's mine, she'd be fine with it. Well, there's a lot of old conservative brainwashing, I suppose, because now, I mean, there would be nothing more in life that I'd like than to maybe go and find out what that was like. I gave up that side to basically be with her, and I've never regretted that, but I never thought I'd have the possibility to do that. But part of me in my head still thinks like a conservative Christian, though I'm an atheist now, and says, if that happens, bad things will happen, and she might be telling the truth, but horrible things will occur, and she'll leave me. So I'm kind of caught like a deer in the headlights, and I don't know what to do because, yeah, I'd love to go and have that experience I never had that I always did want to have. But I would go to the end of the earth for this woman, and I don't want it to cause problems. Even though she says it doesn't, part of my brain's programmed to think it would.
0: One of last week's Savage Love Letters of the Day was from this guy who signed himself Her Heartbroken Husband. And his situation wasn't exactly the same as yours, but I'm going to run you through it anyway. So he's been married for just four months and he and his wife – he doesn't say how long they dated or where they were engaged before they got married. Never a good sexual connection, really bad sex. They both acknowledge it's bad sex and nothing ever seems to work to improve it. And they wanted to stay married because they are in love with each other. They wanted to get married because they're in love with each other. And the wife had told the husband that if he ever wanted to fuck somebody else to have better sex than they were capable of having together. Uh, That was fine with her. She just didn't want to know about it. And then he fucked somebody else. She found out about it. I think he made a big mistake by fucking a mutual friend. When someone says, a partner, file this away, folks. When your wife or husband or girlfriend or boyfriend says, I don't care if you fuck somebody else. I just don't want to know about it. Fuck somebody when you do fuck somebody else that they don't know. The odds of them finding out about it if you fuck someone they know are so much higher. It's as good as... Making sure they know about it. It's kind of a violation of the permission slip that you were given. Anyway, in unpacking what may have been going on with the wife, and I was just speculating about where she may have been at, uh, there were really two things at play. First, it's possible that she laid a trap for her husband, and he fell right into it. That she wanted to engineer a way out of this marriage, and so she gave him permission to commit adultery, and now she has an out. Because now she's, after finding out, very hurt and sad. She's not sure she wants to stay married. The other thing that may have been at work, and I think this is likelier, because I don't think this guy's husband, based on what little info he shared with us, was in any way malicious, is that sometimes people give their spouses permission to do something that they really haven't thought through, or even on some level, they hope that they won't, and then they're crushed when their spouses take them at their word and go ahead and do that thing that they told them they could. I don't know if that's the case with your wife. Clearly, you don't know if that's the case either you're out to her about being by and good for you for being by and out she even suggested a dude to you that she would be fine with you getting with and that really does seem like evidence that she is indeed fine with it but if you knowing your wife are not yet sure just give it more time lots more time S- suss her out have more conversations And maybe, strategically, sometime when you and your wife are having hot, hot, hot heterosex, dirty talk it a little bit and see where it goes. The fact that your wife, when she said you could be with a guy, trotted out an actual guy, an actual stripper hot guy, not some abstraction, not some amorphous gay dude to be named later that she doesn't want to meet and doesn't want to know anything about, but somebody that she knows and she knows is hot and she has a visual on and a visual with you on, to me that screams not just fine with it, but turned on by it. That she's not just okay with you expressing this aspect of your sexuality. She's anxious for you to express this aspect of your sexuality and perhaps so anxious that she wants all the details and it actually kind of works for her. But you're going to have to do the work of nailing that down. Talk with your wife. Talk with her more about it. Tell her you're really intrigued. Tell her you really want to do this sometime. Tell her, instead of leading with, this turns you on, doesn't it? Tell her that it maybe turns you on to know that she knows or that she would know potentially the guy and be cool with it. That that is kind of sexy for you. And see if she turns around and says, you know what's sexy for me about this? Everything. And I think that's highly likely based on the info you've given me. As for the Christianity piece, what you were taught about marriage and fidelity and adultery and and risk bear this in mind. One of the greatest drivers of divorce and divorce is terrible. Jesus condemns divorce in the Bible, particularly in long-term sexually exclusive relationships is boredom and frustration. And here you have a ticket out of boredom and frustration. Here you have a ticket potentially to excitement that involves your wife. And that may be the thing that saves your marriage, that keeps you together. So rather than regarding it as a threat, you should embrace it as a boon. And remember Every time a married by guy fucks a stripper, an angel gets his cock rings.
3: Hi, Dan.
4: I'm a 36-year-old female um, married with with a family. Uh, About three years ago, I met a woman through my 12-step recovery fellowship who became my best friend very, very quickly. Um, We've been very close and intimate, have traveled together. She's my best friend. Well, recently I found out through a mutual friend who assumes that I already knew that my friend is a transgender female. This has rocked my world. I feel like the person I've known for three years has, has been a lie. I want to continue my friendship with her, but I don't know how to forgive and move on and how to frame this new friendship. Is is the relationship we had as authentic as I thought it was? How do I support her? How can I ask questions to help me feel like I know her better without offending her? She hasn't told me this herself and she doesn't yet know that I know, but she will soon enough. The person who told me is going to talk to her about it. And any advice you can give me would be greatly appreciated.
0: This is a hard one. On the one hand, you're claiming that since you got to know this woman and since you got to be close friends, that you had some sort of right to know this fact about her and that you were on some level violated. Your friend withholding this fact about her history was a betrayal and a violation somehow of you in in ways that you don't unpack. I don't see that. I don't see how – not having this offered to you up on a silver platter and not having this disclosed right away is really in any way relevant. You didn't have a sexual relationship with this woman. You weren't marrying this woman. You weren't hoping after marriage that you would have biological children with her using her uterus. Uh, It isn't really relevant to your friendship or how you met that she transitioned at some point earlier in her history. Also, On that same hand, you're setting yourself up as the victim here when I think the victim may be your trans friend. I don't know who this third party is, this person who called you to out this person as trans. I don't know who that is or what that person is up to, but it sure sounds like someone's maliciously running around outing someone who's trans. For what reason? I don't know. That ain't cool. Trans people sometimes make a choice to live, as the trans community says, a stealth life where they disappear into the gender that they have transitioned to, into their new or always existent actual gender. However, you want to argue that. I don't want to get into those weeds. There isn't time enough in the show. Some people make that choice to live stealth because being out as trans can be really fucking dangerous. Trans people are at huge risk of violence. Trans women of color particularly. Trans people are discriminated against in employment and have no protections in most places, in housing. Trans people are discriminated against socially. For evidence of that, run to your mirror. You found this out about your trans friend and now you feel like you can't be her friend or she isn't your friend. Or you've somehow been violated because ooky spooky Trans. You can see in your own reaction, you can see in this third party, this mysterious third party's actions, a reason why this woman might choose to live stealth, might choose to not disclose her trans status, for fear of the reaction it might get. A panicked, judgmental reaction from you, getting fired by an employer that she outs herself to as trans, being beaten to death on the street by people that she casually mentions to that she's trans. There's good reasons why a lot of trans people hold this information back for their own safety, for their own protection. So let's stop having this be all about you and your feelings. And this woman who you have been friends with that you've really walked a little journey with you met in AA. She's been a part of your support system. Maybe you are sober and healthy today in part, thanks to her friendship And you should give some credit, and maybe you can empathize. Maybe you can see why she might choose to live stealth. Have you learned a little bit more about what being trans is about before you panicked about the fact that she was trans? So that's all the one hand, all of that. Here's the other hand. Here's the more generous interpretation of events where you're concerned that maybe you are angry and upset because she didn't share this with you. Maybe you were angry and upset because you felt you were really close friends. And so you feel as if by withholding this information, she was saying that you couldn't be trusted, that you weren't as good a friend to her as you know yourself to be. That really doesn't come across in your call though. That's not what it sounds like is going on for you. It sounds like you're saying that you wouldn't have been her friend if you'd known she was trans. It sounds like you feel that trans people should have to walk around wearing some sort of scarlet fucking letter to let all the muggles and normals know they're coming down the street so you can run from them. Anyway, I'm not really answering your question, which is what should you do now? And how do you talk to her? How do you ask questions? What you do to her is I think you go to her before this malicious third party fuckwit who's running around outing her has a chance and say, some asshole just called me to tell me this. I want to let you know. And, If it's true, you should also say, I want to let you know that it makes no difference and I'm still your friend. And you can add, maybe, I wished you'd felt comfortable enough with me to share this earlier and I wished that I'd heard it from you and I want you to know that I'm still your friend and you can trust me. Say all of that if all that's true. And then you really don't have to ask any fucking questions. Your friend's a woman. You have a really good idea how you came to be a woman, cisgendered woman. You can infer how she came to be the woman that she is today. There aren't a lot of questions you fucking need to ask. She will, if she feels comfortable with you, and this is something that she wants to talk about or unpack, unpack it with you and talk about it with you. But her having transitioned is an event in her past. It's not a fact of her present in any way that's necessarily relevant to a post-transition friendship that will hopefully be ongoing.
4: Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 30-year-old a bisexual woman, and I recently came out to my family uh, about a few weeks ago. I just turned 30, and I didn't want to be 30 and in the closet. So um, after much encouragement from listening to your shows, I came out to my stepmom, and I figured they'll probably trickle from her to a bunch of other people on that side of the family, which is fine. Her reaction was okay, generally positive. It seemed kind of awkward. I told her over the phone because we live hundreds of miles away from each other. You know, I told her I am bisexual. She said that was fine. And I asked if she had any questions, and she said no. And I don't know. It just seemed like there wasn't anything else to say, but I was kind of hoping that she would want to talk about it more. Anyway, it left me feeling kind of awkward. And anyway, I'm going to see her this weekend coming up. Um, and I was just wondering if maybe I should bring it up again. And if so, what what can I do to kind of steer the conversation in a better direction and you know, really flush it out. I just, I want to make sure she doesn't have any sort of misconceptions about bisexual people or me.
0: Maybe your stepmother reacted that way because she could give a shit. Maybe she reacted that way because bisexuality isn't that complicated necessarily or hard to understand. Um, so maybe she didn't feel any need to get into a long drawn out conversation with you about bisexuality. Maybe she knows everything she needs to know about bisexuality because she's bisexual. I think now you just go forward in your relationship. When you see her, you say, hey, how are you doing? And you could lead with a positive. You could go to her and say, it really meant a lot to me that you said that it made no difference and you were supportive when I came out to you as bi. And then she could maybe ask you a couple of questions or maybe she doesn't want to have a conversation about it because there's really not that much to talk about. Or maybe you could take some responsibility for this, for, what, for getting what you want you're reading into her reaction some failure on her part to perform correctly the role of the parent or step-parent uh, whose child or stepchild has just come out to her, that she didn't panic, I guess, or didn't have a meltdown or didn't ask you all of the right questions so you could disabuse her of all of the misconceptions about bisexuality. In a way, you seem to be wanting from her what you didn't get You know, and she didn't invite you to give her the things that you wanted to give her. You can just give her those things. You can initiate a conversation without faulting her for failing to play the part of the step parent who's just been come out to correctly. To say, there's some things I need to get off my chest about bisexuality. I don't want to assume um, that you hold these misconceptions, but, uh, uh, you know, you never know. So I just really kind of want to talk about this some more. I hope that's okay. And then just unload. And who knows? Maybe she'll go, oh, yeah, I was worried about that. Yeah, I didn't know how to address that. I didn't want to ask you a question that might offend you. Or maybe she'll go, I know all that. I'm not an idiot. I have bi friends. I'm bi. Or your father's bi. Who knows what she's going to say? Also, you say that you came out to her, you picked her to come out to hoping it would trickle down through the rest of the family. So not only are you putting on her, this responsibility to perform correctly, the role of the parent or stepparent to whom the child has just come out, you're shifting on to her, the responsibility to come out on your behalf to the rest of the family. That's bullshit. That's your job. If you're worried that she didn't react properly because you're worried then she's not going to fulfill this obligation she did not know that she was incurring when you came out to her, that's your bullshit, not her bullshit. Come out to the rest of your family yourself. That is not her job. What are the odds if she ran around telling everybody else in the family that you were bi that that would piss you off too or that in in another circumstance, another bi person coming out to a parent who then ran around and told everybody else would be calling me complaining about that. That thing that you want her to do is usually held up as evidence of a violation. So initiate the conversation, say the things you need to say so you can feel comfortable with her, feel comfortable and fully out have the conversation and then do the job of coming out to the rest of your family yourself. That's not your stepmom's job. She doesn't have to do that for you.
4: Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at risk youth. I am a 26 year old. I've been in a relationship with a man for about three years now. It's going really great. Um, he's totally GGG awesome. Uh, I don't actually have a question about my relationship, but about me, which is a little bit different maybe. So I've, I have a number of, mental health issues that I finally feel like I have gotten to a place where I'm more stable than I have been since my adolescence, really. Um, I have my careers on track. I feel like my partnership's is really great. My life has just, you know, come together. And so for the first time really ever since I became aware of how I operate sexually, I have time to deal with it. I've been in and out of therapy for the last 10 years about, um, but this is never like, I, this isn't Been a pressing issue at this point. But at this, you know, at this time in my life, I feel like I need to start unraveling this huge complicated knot that is my sexuality at this point. I know I'm straight. It's not about my orientation. It's more about what I'm interested in. Um, I grew up Catholic. Uh, so I have a lot of shame and guilt around sexuality, which, you know, happens. I've heard you talk about that a little bit, Dan. Um, but I'm into BSM, uh, being a sub. A lot of really violent stuff, um, and that is really hard for me to process. Um, I try and be a sex positive person as much as I can, you know, present myself as a sex positive role model. You know, I think anything that you're into, as long as you're consensual, is great, but I sometimes am repulsed by what I desire as a person. And that's really hard for me to process, and it's hard for me to share with my partner. The people, I have shared it with even the smallest part have sort of taken advantage of it a little bit and not done it in a way that was consensual and fun and you know keeping my boundaries where I wanted them to be um, and i I don't know how to stop myself at a certain point and you know ask for what I want just because I never have uh, so how do you start processing stuff like that uh, and that's what I want to know how do I start dealing with this, you know, this guilt and the shame around what I desire and start unraveling this sort of complicated knot that I feel like is, you know, exists kind of in the back of my head. I pretty much have vanilla sex at this point, but I, I want more than that. And so how do I express that to my partner? How do I express it to myself and sort of reconcile it? I guess is what I'm asking. Where do I go from here? Everything else is my, my life is in order at this point. I want this to be the next thing that I start working on. So how do I do that?
0: It might help if rather than having BDSM sex right now or figuring out how to negotiate BDSM sex with a partner, you, rather than focusing on the sex, entered the BDSM community to a certain extent, to a limited extent. Go to some munches, go to some events, hang out, get to know some people, get to meet some people. Uh, Who are, you know, kink identified, who believe kink is their orientation, like Jillian Keenan on the show a few weeks ago, who are really plugged into and identify strongly with kink and BDSM in a positive way. And the reason I think you should do this, the reason I think you should meet some kinky people, particularly kinky people in relationships, who aren't looking to fuck you and you aren't trying to negotiate your way into their kinky scenes or their lives, is because you need to begin to make a positive connection between the crazy, kinky On the surface, perhaps violent, but then you add the magic ingredient of completely consensual and safe and perform with someone uh, you can trust. And by definition, someone who violates or pushes your boundaries uh, is not someone that you can trust. And retroactively, you know, you shouldn't be doing this with them and shouldn't do them ever again. Make some positive associations. Those crazy, kinky, fucked up things that you want to do, fucked up in the most positive, kink, positive sense of the term to see them at play in a relationship where the love is palpable, where the affection is palpable, where the connection is apparent and you can see it reinforced by the joy that both partners take or all three triad partners take in the activities that they're doing that are similar to the ones that you want to do with a partner in the context of consent and trust. And that may help all by itself without, without you taking your fucking pants off, just witnessing that, witnessing that the things that you desire can exist in the context of a healthy and loving relationship. Then you can work on negotiating those things yourself. Then you will have people who've modeled for you those negotiations. Then you will have a peer group, a kinky peer group that you can turn to for advice. You can ask them. Kinky people love to talk about their kinks. They love to talk about how they get their kinks going and get them on. You can ask them how they Learn to process these complicated feelings about sexual desires that were easily misunderstood by others who don't share them. And that can leave a person vulnerable to exploitation by shitbags, right? Because there are some shitbags out there who will exploit people, particularly submissive women. But if you have a partner now and you're trying to figure out how to negotiate these things now in the context of your relationship now, baby steps, little tiny things. You don't have to disclose everything and your deepest, darkest desires. What you don't want is a good and nice person who could have been a good and nice and loving long-term partner trying to, you know, knock it out of the park the first time or the second time you guys do some sort of power exchange play in sex and go for those craziest things that maybe you unpacked for them or talked about or mentioned and spook you or scare you because some of the things that you've imagined may not be things that in reality turn you on which is why you need to tiptoe up very slowly to those things. You need to figure out where your own boundaries are. And that comes with time, patience and experience. So rather if you have a partner right now, rather than tell them the craziest, kinkiest fucking shit you've ever wanted to do or experience or try or fantasized about while you were masturbating, tell them the little things, tell them the little power exchange, baby step, whatever that is, hold me down, pull my hair, slap my ass, light bondage, whatever the, training wheels versions are of the crazy kinks that you have. Try those. And if your partner can do those without violating your boundaries and without you, it sounds like you've said you get a little spun up and out of control without that happening to you. Then you can tiptoe up to something a little more extreme and a little more extreme. And also concurrently, if you've made some contacts and friendships in the BDSM scene and community, you'll have some people to call. You'll have some friends to share your experiences with, to unpack them afterwards to get their advice, if something goes wrong, to get your hand held. And both those components, particularly for varsity level kinksters, I think are important. The relationship with someone that you can trust, that you tiptoed up to these things, and that community that provides feedback, accountability, shares skills, and not just not tying skills, but also processing skills and emotional skills. Get out there, do both.
2: Hey, Dan, I'm a 40-year-old straight male. Polly and into BDSM. I'm currently seeing several women, most of them fairly casually, but the problem I'm having is with my longer-term relationship. I've been seeing her for almost a year and a half, and she's the one that first turned me on to poly about halfway through our relationship. That part worked out really well. We've both seen other people. We share details. There's no jealousy at all. The problem is this. Uh, I haven't seen her in over two months, and she makes no effort at making time for me. She's always been a little bit bad at scheduling and balancing her life but lately it's gotten really out of hand. Fall marks the beginning of a really busy and stressful time in her pursuit of her graduate degree. In the last talk we had, she basically said I'll see you in 6 months. She also told me that she's putting her other relationships on hold as well, which I do believe her. And so if this were a monogamous relationship, we'd have had a longer talk and probably broken up by now. But being poly somehow makes this less of a big deal? I don't know. Uh, the last year has also been crazy busy for me. I've been trying to get my own career off the ground, but I've always made time for her and my other partners. I understand that Polly mantra of love is not a finite resource, that time sure as hell is, and I'm very respectful of everybody's busy schedules. But putting our relationship completely on hold for six months? I guess the easy answer is to ditch, especially since I have other relationships going, though they're much newer but I really do care for her and I really miss spending time with her. And we have such an amazing time when we're together and we really click emotionally and sexually and we're on the same kink wavelength, but I can't make her make time for me. Right. Any advice, Dan?
0: Six months really isn't that long a time, especially when you are not expected to go without sex over that six month period. You have other partners. It sounds like she's the one who's going to be deprived during that time. You will be deprived of her company. You will be deprived of her attention. And that seems to gall you on some level, but she's the one who's going to have to knuckle under and get uh, a lot of work done. Uh, You can't make her make time for you. I think she's doing the right thing by budgeting her time and saying, I have to knuckle under and get this work done for my professional life, for my career, the rest of my life, my financial security. And I have to wall off a lot of time and a lot of people in the poly scene, a lot of people in poly relationships, they can be very draining. There's a lot of processing and hand-holding and time that gets churned up in those relationships. And maybe she's experienced enough in poly and she turned you on to poly to know that for right now she can have relationships with no one. A risk having relationships with no one lest she be dragged into processy poly drama that eats up a week that she does not have to spare. Six months is not that long a time. 26 weeks? Not that. She doesn't have a week to spare to some polydrama blow up, right? Let her go. So here's what I'd do if I were you. I would say, six months isn't that long a time. I'll see you in six months. You go fucking nail that master's thesis, dissertation, final project, whatever it is she's working on, and I'll be there in six months to cheer for you and I'll bring a cake. And then add, you know what? Every once in a while, I'm just going to send you an email. You don't have to read it, you don't have to open it, and I don't expect a response just chit-chatty to say hello and let you know that I'm thinking about you without any pressure, expectation, or obligation. And then if you do send those emails and there are no responses, no whining or hand-wringing, just a little message in a bottle, letting her know you're thinking of her without creating obligations for her at this time when she can't risk any. So suck it up. Go enjoy the BDSM sex with your other partners. Let her do what she needs to do.
4: Hi, Dan. I am a 45-year-old, uh, single, heterosexual uh, female, uh, single mom, and I have a question regarding friendships and protocols with other people's husbands. I have two friends that I have hung out with and done kind of girls' night out with for many years since uh, shortly after my daughter was born. And, and we all have kids and it's, it's always been really good except when I separated. Uh, I separated about four years ago. Uh, I've been, I started seeing somebody about six or eight months after who I'm still seeing and who I love very much. And these friends somehow, uh, we used to hang out as families a little bit, usually it was just the three of us girls and sometimes with the kids. And and every now and then it would be with their husband, with my ex-husband, and it was all really nice. Um, but since I separated, uh, the dynamics changed a little bit. And suddenly they're very adamant, and one of them in particular is very adamant about not hanging out. With uh, their spouses, um, they tell me that their spouses are very antisocial, and kind of use that as, as as an argument. But we used to do it every now and then and hang out as groups. And they're very adamant about, or one is very adamant about, not hanging out. With my current significant other, who is a, a wonderful addition to my life, I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to bring it up with them, with her, and and I don't want to lose them as friends. Like they're they're really wonderful friends, but I feel that over time. Um, because each time getting together with them is always an exclusion of my significant other, and as I said, I'm a single mom. My time with my significant other is limited. I work very long hours. I don't have a whole lot of time, you know, with with him. I don't want to exclude having have to choose between my friends and him all the time. And as a result you know, we don't hang out as much anymore and, and I have no clue how to bring it up. Um I've brought it up in the past politely or just kind of saying, Hey, you know, I'd really like to hang out more with families and I get the argument that, well, our my husband or our own husbands are very antisocial and this is this is the reality. And I just I, I, I honestly don't know what to do and I would love your perspective.
0: You sometimes hear from women who've separated from their husbands that that can really disrupt their relationships with other female friends, uh, that they may have hung out with as families because some people perceive divorce to be somehow contagious or a newly single woman in a mix with couples to be predatory and threatening somehow. And some women who've gotten divorces have found themselves cut out of their social circle or have old friends turn their backs on them in really shocking and painful ways. That doesn't sound like what's happening here. What it sounds like, is happening here. You're not a threat. You have a new partner that you've been with for three and a half years. It just sounds like your friends for whatever reason, don't like your boyfriend and they would rather not hang out with him. And that sucks and that shitty, but there you go. They're picking time with you and him or not getting to see you. And they pick not getting to see you. If getting to see you means also having to see him And now you have to pick whether you're going to not see them or see them alone. Those are sort of your options. I mean, you can go to the mattresses. You can kick down a door and march in there and say, you can't have a relationship with me unless you're willing to accept and, and be civil to and spend time with my boyfriend. But they've already broadcast the response to that question. They've already let you know how they will answer that demand. They're already not seeing you. If seeing you means seeing him. So the ball is in your court. Do you value your friendships with these women who don't like your boyfriend? And that sometimes happens. Terry has friends, I think, who don't like me very much. I can be sometimes difficult. And so I don't hang out with Terry when he's with them. I don't tell Terry he can't see them, right? And vice versa. I may have one or two friends who think Terry is not someone they want to spend a lot of time with. You don't force those people into a room together. I think it speaks to a certain degree of maturity when you don't turn to your friends and insist that they like your boyfriend or husband as much as they like you, that you can let other people have their own personal taste. Sometimes we're thrown in together with people that we wouldn't be thrown in together with but for the relationships that they have with somebody that we're close to. Right? And... The decent, kind, respectful thing to do is make the best of those relationships. I think that's what most people do most of the time. Your friends are unwilling to do that, and you know it. So Maybe some nights they should leave their kids at home with their husbands, and you should leave your kids with your SO. It's been three and a half years. I'm sure he knows your kids well. I'm sure you can trust him with your kids. And just the three of you go out as girls, girlfriends like old times, pre-marriage, pre-kids, and hang out and drink and maybe get super drunk one night and level with each other. And what you're likely to hear is we just don't like your boyfriend, which you kind of already know, which you should have been able to infer, which I think you suspect. So can you like people who don't like him? Falls in your court.
4: Hi, Dan. I am a 25 year old straight female living in Tampa, Florida. My boyfriend of four years is 25 as well. Um, I recently went to his apartment while he was at work to pick something up I had left over from spending the night and I found a blonde wig, stripper heels that are for his feet because they were size twelve, um, an extra large French made outfit, about a dozen extra large thongs, a swimsuit, a one piece female swimsuit with a hole cut out for his dick. And I'm just trying to figure out what this all means. I asked him about it. I wasn't accusing him of cheating on me or anything like that. Just asked him if I was fulfilling his sexual needs um, or if there's something that I needed to be doing. And he just broke up with me. Um, I asked him if he had a mistress online or a webcam girl he was dressing up for. He said that he did not and I asked him why he felt the need to keep this from me. I've explained to him multi or a variety of times or various times that I'm pretty sexually liberal. Um there's pretty much nothing I won't do except for a threesome shit in somebody's mouth and um, actual torture, like cannibal lector style torture. I'm not doing that. But um, anything else, I'm pretty much open to. So for him not to feel comfortable confiding this in me and to just break up with me about it is a little bit unusual. Um, just wanted to see if I could get some insight from you regarding this situation.
0: You say you're trying to figure out what this means. I think we both know what it means. Right. No, I... I, He's a cross-dresser. He he dresses up in women's clothes and jacks off.
4: Yeah, yeah, but the reason I was calling is why would he be angry at me for finding out? Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I just went in his apartment to get my retainer.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, there's two reasons that he may have dumped you. Um, One is maybe he felt really violated. Maybe he felt really exposed. Maybe he felt uh, so ashamed of himself. And, you know, there's lots of instances where... Guys who have particularly this kink uh, try to share it or come out about it and are immediately rejected and it's possible that he just rejected you before you could reject him after having been rejected by 10 other girls before you because of this, right? Okay. So it could have just been defensive or this could be something that he wants kept strictly private and if that's the case, he should have done a better job of hiding these things, Right. It sounds like mm-hmm. you just stumbled over them in his apartment. You weren't snooping. You weren't okay. pulling things out of drawers, right? Right. Right. I'm not sure. I believe no.
4: I know it was okay. It was all out in the open. Okay. So, and like, he, I found a wig on the floor, pantyhose in the bathroom.
0: And did like, he know my, you? Were, did he know you were going into his apartment?
4: Yeah. Well, I not on that day. I told him that I would be stopping by later in the week. Um,
0: probably while he was at work so mm-hmm. i could get my stuff. Okay, so you didn't snoop, so it's not dumping you because he snooped and he's not and if he's not dumping you because he feels so ashamed or he's preemptory, you know, he's preemptively dumping you so that you can't dump him first. It's possible that he could be one of those guys, one of those crossdressers who this is something he wants private because he needs the woman in his life kind of not to know this about him. He needs to be 100% pure virile, masculine, no gender nonconforming anything and you know, the dick swinging stud in the relationship and knowing you know this about him makes him incapable of uh, uh, of, be, of being clicking into this relationship because he needs you to believe a lie basically. That he presents kind of a lie version of himself to his girlfriends and knowing that you know this shatters that and he can't be in a relationship with somebody who knows this about him. Cause he's two different people. He's one person when he dresses up and he's another person when he's in this relationship and merging those two persona cancels them out for him. And so just knowing that, you know, this makes it impossible for him to have a heterosexual intimate relationship with you, which is a shame because it's better but to be loved. It doesn't
4: th- even make sense to me because why would he be embarrassed about it? Cause I've explained to him many times that he can come to me with any sexual yeah Yeah, but
0: bullshit. A lot of women say that to men, and then men come and say, I want to do this, and they get dumped. A lot of women say, I'm wow. really sexually adventurous and open, and I really want us to fulfill each other's fantasies, and the guy says, pee on me, and gets dumped immediately, right? <laughs> or the guy says, I'm a cross-dresser, and she goes, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. I get letters every day from guys who've fallen for that, who've heard... The same things that your ex-boyfriend heard from you, believed them to be true, and then disclosed and were dumped. Right. Because women sometimes will say that hoping that the guy is going to say, I want to sprinkle the bedspread with rose petals and light a thousand tiny little tea candles in the apartment because it'll be so romantic. (laughs) And that's no guy's fantasy ever. (laughs) The guy's fantasy is I want to be tied up in the corner while you fuck my best friend in front of oh me like a guy's fantasy is going to be something dirty and crazy and women when they are honest about what their fantasies are, are often dirty and crazy too but right. we anyway i don't want to go down that rat hole right now okay. so, so so are you pining for this guy do you want to get back together with him
4: um no not really um We had some previous issues before, so now I don't want to get back together.
0: Well, that brings us to reason number three. He may have ended it. He may have just seized the opportunity to end a relationship that he knew was going nowhere anyway.
4: Yeah, I can see that.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, and good luck with your next boyfriend.
4: Thank you. Hi Dan. Um I'm an eighteen year old lesbian college student and I have kind of a situation. Um so I just got to college and um I moved into a dorm with a roommate, you know, standard college student stuff. And um when I was putting up all my all my stuff, my roommate was doing the same and I noticed that she has a lot of like, you know, Bible verses all over posters and, like, she brought out her multiple copies of the Bible. And, like, obviously she's very religious. Like, I'm not really a fan of religious people, but, like, that's not a big deal, right? But um, when I was looking at my pictures, I I have a lot of pictures of my family and friends. And one of them is a picture of myself and my girlfriend holding hands. And so my roommate, like, we're chatting and she looks over at my desk and she's like, oh, is that your friend? I'm like, oh, no, no, that's my girlfriend. And she just stops and looks at me and she's like are you gay? I'm like, yeah. And she just looks at me and says, I don't believe in the homosexual lifestyle and you're going to hell. And I'm just like, oh, great. And so she gives me this half-hour rant about how I am sinning and going against Jesus. And she brings out her Bible and quotes verses at me. And I'm just like, oh, great. This is not what I signed up for. It's just the first week of school and I have a whole... Year of this, so my question is, um, how do I deal with this having a wildly homophobic roommate?
0: Here's how I dealt with a mildly homophobic roommate way, way back in the 1980s when I was in college at a major state university that had no protections for sexual minorities in its codes of conduct or its non-discrimination policies at, at that campus. Um, moved in, and the first night, I'm reading some gay book uh i don't remember which gay book but a gay book and he's in bed reading the bible and here's how um that all shook out for us about a week and a half later he walked into the room while i was having sex with my boyfriend and saw things that pre-internet good christian boys didn't see could go a whole lifetime without seeing and promptly moved out so there's that option there's import the girlfriend to school option There's also because you are going to university now and not in the benighted 1980s, not under Ronald Reagan, of going and complaining to the school administration. It is one thing for this girl to believe that you're sick and sinful and perverse and you make Jesus throw up and you're going into hell. It's another thing for her to berate you and bully you psychologically, spiritually, quote Bible verses at you and scream and yell at you for a half an hour or an hour or however long it was. She does not have a right – to do that, any more than you would have a right to bring in Sam Harris to scream and yell at her for an hour about how idiotic Christianity is. She does not have a special right, as a person of faith, to be a towering, bullying dick. And most universities agree with me and would be on your side in this dispute, and she would be moved. If your university won't move her, just be the biggest dyke you can possibly be. And if she goes at you with her Bible, tell her to stuff it up her twat. Tell her it is irrelevant. Tell her you, if you are not a Christian, are not a Christian. And so hurling Jesus, he quotes at you, is meaningless. If you are a Christian, throw books at her. Get your own books, your own interpretations of the Bible, and argue with her if you care to argue with her. But don't for a minute feel like you have to put up with this. You don't. One last No, because I have worst-case scenario disorder. When you go to the administration, which is really what I think you should do first rather than wage some sort of aggressive homo campaign, which I waged then because I had no other recourse, uh, go to the administration and say you don't feel safe in this room and you want to be moved or you want her moved in part because she, because you're the evil homo, could say she looked at me, she touched me, she could accuse you when it was just you and her in a room alone together of having done something inappropriate And cultural biases being what they are, she is likelier to be believed than you are. So for your own protection, you need to get her out of there or you need to get out of there. You need to be reassigned. Hi, Dan. I am a college student from Minnesota
3: and I was just calling to ask about a pretty grim situation we had happen last night. So long story short, a guy drugged a girl and attempted to rape her on our dorm floor. And when we figured out what was going on, we all got super concerned, and we went to the RA, and he called the campus police, and you know, the good news is everything turned out okay, she's all right, and he's facing charges. But my question is, is the guy who tried to rape this girl has a roommate, and his roommate is actually his younger brother. He's a very nice kid. Uh, I've talked to him many times, very, very nice, but I don't know how to treat him now that this has happened. I don't know where he was during all this. I don't know what he was doing. I don't even know if he was involved. And I am just kind of concerned, you know, should I keep treating him normally? I mean, I don't want to persecute the kid just because of what his brother did, but I don't have any proof that he wasn't involved. And if he wasn't involved, then do I, you know, go up to him and, you know, hey, your brother's a piece of shit because that's what I think. But that seems really callous and cruel. Can I act like nothing's happened or is that somehow equally cruel? I I just, I don't know what to do.
0: You don't have any proof that the younger brother was involved. You don't have any proof that he wasn't involved. You just don't have any proof. And we run with the assumption generally that families aren't guilty of crimes. Individuals are guilty of crimes. Jeffrey Dahmer ate people and killed people. His parents didn't. His father actually wrote a beautiful book, interesting book, compelling book. Uh, about his son. And you can tell that dad does not approve of cannibalism and ritualistic murder. So I think the younger brother gets the benefit of some doubt, if there's any doubt at all about his involvement. But I think that to confront rape culture and to make college campuses safer for people, that you are entitled to ask some questions and he should be confronted with those questions. Because uh, a young person's attitude towards women, a young person's views about entitlement uh, that could lead a young person to drug a, a, a woman in order to rape her, that can have a lot to do with how a boy is raised. That can have a lot to do with how a boy sees other family members, parents treat women what they were told about women, uh, the community in which they were raised, how women were treated, how girls were treated, the schools they went to, the faith in which they were raised. So providing some sort of accountability loop for this kid is not necessarily a bad thing and it could go toward making the women on that floor and at your school safer because if indeed he was involved or if indeed he believes that his brother did nothing wrong or he was raised with the same kinds of rapey entitled attitudes about women that he should have the right to access any woman's body and a woman who would deny him access as a woman, he has to drug that needs to be confronted. That needs to be rooted out. He needs to be confronted about that. But I think you go into those conversations, giving him the benefit of the doubt operating under the assumption that he could not possibly believe these things. And that benefit of the doubt may not be deserved in all cases because there are certainly people who believe these things out there. But one way, that we create community norms is by treating attitudes like you don't fuck people without a condom recklessly when you're HIV positive and put them at risk. That that's the assumption that you run with when you interact with HIV positive people, that people don't do that. That creates a a cultural community norm around that sort of behavior. So running with the assumption that he would not be down with this and he would not do this as you draw him out about it and verify that he wouldn't be down with it. Giving him the benefit of that doubt reinforces that expectation, that community and cultural norm that we want to be the universal norm and we want to be the default expectation that men don't drug women and rape them. It's highly likely that this kid is traumatized by what his brother did and feels as if he's being viewed with some suspicion, as indeed he is. So giving him a chance, giving him an opportunity to speak to it, In a room full of people who aren't operating under the assumption that he agrees with what his brother did or endorses it or approves of it or would ever engage in those sorts of behaviors, allowing him to make a distinction between himself and his brother, a clear one, that may benefit him. So have those conversations. Ask him those questions in a non-accusatory way, in a way that assumes that he's a good kid and that he doesn't approve and then see what his answers are.
4: Hi, Dan. I am a 25-year-old straight single lady living in New York City. Um, I'm originally from Colorado, um, and I've lived in New York for almost two years exactly. And when I first moved out here, I moved out for a job, and I didn't know many people. I think I had maybe two friends in the city. So when I first moved here, maybe two weeks after moving, I hung out with one of friend who was a college friend, we both um, worked at the same place in college, and we were pretty good friends then, but had lost touch. Um, but like you do when you move to a new city, you reach out to anyone you can. Um, so when we hung out um, for the first time after I'd just moved here, um, he took me out and proceeded to be really nice. Um, and buy me lots of drinks and that was really fun and we went out dancing and I got very, very drunk and I was brand new to New York City didn't really know how to ride the subways yet and so he offered to take me back to his apartment so I agreed um, thinking that I, it would be fine and when we got back to his apartment he um, forced himself on me um, nothing violent but Um, I was too drunk. I kept repeatedly saying, no, I didn't want to do this. And he said, come on, it'll be fun. And so he had sex with me. And I was too drunk to do anything to resist him. So when I woke up in the morning, I obviously felt like shit. And he said something really awful like, this is going to be awkward for a little while, but we'll get over it. And I went on my merry way. So when this first happened, I didn't really label it as date rape, but two years out, I realized that it absolutely was and feel really horrible about it. And I no longer speak to this person. We'd hung out maybe once or twice after it happened because, again, I didn't have anyone else or I didn't know anyone else in the city. Um, But I haven't talked to him in probably a year and a half. So my question for you is... This guy has been harassing me uh, electronically for maybe four months. He'll periodically send me Facebook messages and email me and text me and uh, just ask me why I'm not answering him and it tell me that it upsets him that I don't talk to him. And it doesn't make sense to him. And he understands that it was awkward a couple of years ago, but can't we get over it? And... So my question is, what do I do? Every time he messages me, it makes me feel awful, but I don't want to respond to him because I feel like any response will just encourage him to keep talking to me. So I'm not sure what I should do. How do I get this guy to leave me alone and let me move past that?
0: You say he contacts you on Facebook. It sounds like he's also texting you, not blaming you, not blaming you. You can block him on Facebook and you can block his number on text, but actually I'm not going to advise you to do that. What I think that you should do is that you should have a DM. I don't know what they call it on Facebook, direct message. You should have a private conversation on Facebook where you swap messages with him, where you unpack what happened that night, where you talk about how drunk you were. You talk about saying no and him fucking you anyway. You talk, you tell him that he raped you and see what he says he's likely to say that he did do that. He's likely to confirm your version of events. Even if he argues with you about whether it was rape or not, he's highly likely to confirm indeed that you were drunk that night. Indeed that you did say no. Those are the things that he wants you to get over. Remember he's already telling you that you should get over it. Get over what? Get over consensual sex that you enjoyed. No, get over. He fucked you when you were drunk and he fucked you as you said, no, And raped you. That's what he wants you to get over. Get that all down digitally. Get him into a conversation about that. And then when you have it all and you've copied it all and you've saved it all, send him a note telling him that there is no statute of limitations for reporting rape in New York. And that you're going to report him if he ever contacts you again. And that you have half a mind to report him anyway. And maybe you should report him anyway. Maybe that's what he needs is a prosecution. Maybe that's what he needs to understand that would really help you get over it is knowing that he's in jail where he can't do this to anyone else. At the very least, you you ask how can you get him to leave you alone and fuck off and go away. At the very least, you threaten him with reporting the rape after you get that down. If this is not a conversation that you want to have with him or that you can handle by yourself, get a friend, do it together. Someone who can sit with you while you have this conversation. And then if you want him to fuck off and leave you alone forever, you send him a link to statute of limitations in New York, sexual assault and rape, where it says there is no statute of limitations. And you threaten to report it. And honestly, I think you should report it.
4: Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old straight woman in a wonderful relationship. I've been with my boyfriend for about eight months now, and everything is truly amazing. We click emotionally. The sex is really fulfilling and fantastic, and I just love being with him. We've talked a bit about a future and can definitely see ourselves being with each other for a while. Um, and I can honestly say right now I can see myself with this guy, for years to come, if not the rest of my life. So this got me thinking um, about disclosing something um, from in my past. So when I was 19, I got pregnant from my boyfriend at the time, and there was no way in hell I could have gone through with the pregnancy, so I got an abortion. My boyfriend at the time was with me through the whole thing, and he was amazingly supportive. Um, It's not exactly something I'm proud of. So he is the only person in my life who knows about this. However, it is something that I'm absolutely not ashamed of. I support my decision 100% and have never second-guessed myself. I personally decided that the only other person I would want to tell is my future husband one day. Um, So my question is, what would be the best time to tell this future man um, about my abortion? Uh, after we're engaged, right before we try having kids, or sometime sooner maybe before any serious commitment, just in case he's completely horrified and wants to break things off. I'd rather not go around telling um, people too soon, because worst case scenario, he would break it off, and I'd just end up telling more people than I care to. Um, So, what would maybe be the ideal time to tell a future husband or current husband um, about a past abortion?
0: I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around, I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm not proud of it. You should be proud of the choice that you made. You made absolutely the right choice for yourself at that time when you were 19 years old and not ready to parent and neither was your boyfriend. And you two together loved each other through it and took care of each other. And you should be very proud of yourself and your ex-boyfriend, wherever he is, very proud of himself. You two did the right thing. You did what God would do. 25 to 50% of all pregnancies end in spontaneous natural abortions. If God hates abortionists if it's so awful, if it is a human life, God is the biggest abortionist of all. You come nowhere close, right? So you did the right thing and you should be proud of yourself. But that's not the question. The question is when do you disclose? Early and often, one in three American women have had an abortion. This future man, this abstraction, this person who does not yet exist, if he couldn't love you because you had had an abortion, that's something you want to know before you get emotionally involved with this guy. So it is a disclose early and disclose often fact about you. Abortion, it comes up in conversation. You don't want to scramble your DNA with somebody and then tell him that you had an abortion once. And guys, you should go. Have you had more than three girlfriends? In your life, if you dated more than three women, congratulations, you've dated or been with or loved someone who had an abortion. And this future man, if he loves you, will look back on that abortion and realize that not only did you do the right thing at that time for yourself and for your boyfriend and for your future children, you did the right thing for him. Because where would your life have taken you if at 19 you became a parent? You would not have been on the trajectory that you're on now, on the course that you're on now. You would not have met him had you become a teenage parent at 19, your life would have gone off in an entirely different direction. So you wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be in his life. You wouldn't be his girlfriend or wife or the mother of his children, but for that well-advised, you ought to be proud of yourself abortion that you got as a teenager when you were not yet ready to parent. So get it on a t-shirt, get it on a bumper sticker, wear a button. It is a, completely neutral fact about your reproductive health history. And yeah, we don't have to run around sharing our reproductive health histories with each other when we're initially dating, but this is a stigmatized reproductive health matter, right? This abortion that you've had, some guys will react very badly. Those are the guys you shouldn't want to waste five fucking seconds on. As always with shit that's stigmatized, with being paws, with having herpes, with having some crazy kink, with having had an abortion, it is a magic wand. It is a beautiful once you've accepted it, once you are no longer allowing the world to force a scarlet letter onto your chest about it, it is a it is a Harry Potter sorting hat that divides the world up into decent people and assholes. When you tell someone that you're paused or that you had an abortion or you have this crazy kink, you're telling them one thing about you, their reaction tells you everything, everything, absolutely everything you need to know about them. And when you tell guys that you're dating, that you had an abortion once when you were a teenager, and they react badly, they slut-shame you or scold you or Jesus you, congratulations. Your superpower has, one, has identified that this person is wrong for you and that you should dump them instantly. And you should be proud of that superpower, just like you should be proud of the choice you made, the right choice that you made at 19. And you know what? I think disclosing it a few times to to guys you're dating and getting, hey, that's cool and that's no problem. Of course, you did the right thing. That'll help you burn through your shame about it. And I think you do have some shame about it. And what's the other option? You wait 10 years. You carry this weight 10 years into a relationship, into a marriage. As you've already become parents with somebody, you have to wring your hands about this forever wondering when you're going to the time will come when you should disclose it that's not tension that you want to live with that's not tension you should have to live with because any guy who had a problem with it isn't a guy who should be in your life and more women i realize that disclosing the fact that you've had an abortion is is deeply personal and i'm not scolding people who make the choice not to disclose the fact that they made that choice right But there are so many people out there who know and love people who've had abortions who are casually, thoughtlessly, cruelly anti choice who would rethink their positions if they knew that their wives or their daughters or their siblings had had abortions. And there are so many dumb, fucking idiotic, anti choice men out there who don't know that they've personally benefited from a woman making the choice to terminate a pregnancy because somebody that they were dating or somebody that they're married to did the right thing and had an abortion without telling them. Sometimes women are not in a position where they can tell their intimate partner that they're having an abortion because of domestic violence. And that is absolutely the right choice. Safety first, more men than the already majority of men who are pro-choice would be pro- choice. If all men or more men or all men who could know knew. So err at all times when possible on the side of disclosure.
4: Hey, Dan, I'm a 33-year-old female on the East Coast. I'd honestly be surprised if you take this question because I feel like it might be a little too rudimentary for the show, but I'm honestly really curious what you'd say. Um, I would just love your input on what I assume is actually a pretty common problem, and that is the ex-boyfriend who won't take you back but won't let you go. <laughs> um, For about a year since my ex dumped me, um, we've had the same cycle. It's been going on and on where he calls every day. We have great sex. We cuddle. We have these great talks. He showers me with affection and praise. And then just when I seem to be getting too close, he turns ice cold and even kind of cruel. Um, There's silent treatments, coldness, distance, even peppers in some insults for good measure. Um, The excuses are pretty rampant. Um, you'd think he's like running a campaign. He gets so, you know, quote unquote busy during these periods. Anyway, he always uses the same phrase that he's concerned that I'm getting too attached and that he cares about me and doesn't want to hurt me. And okay, that's fine. But here's the thing. It's like, he won't let me move on either. He, he doesn't want me to leave. He does everything in his power to keep me in his life. It's, um, he feels I'm drifting away. He starts laying on the affection and the great sex even thicker. He calls and emails more and more. He visits all the time. And it works. It makes it difficult to move on. I went on um, like 12 OkCupid dates this summer, and I found myself just wishing it was him every time. Um, sometimes this confusing sort of hot and cold behavior can occur inside of a single week, even a day. Um, like in the middle of the night, the other night, I woke up to find him kissing my forehead and whispering, I love you repeatedly while he was gazing at me lovingly in the morning. He just reminded me that he, he reminded me that he doesn't want a relationship and that he's concerned I'm getting too close again. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've tried no contact, um, and all that stuff. I just feel like a puppy who is being pet and love and then gets smacked for wagging its tail in response. He, he showers me with praise and sex and affection and then acts annoyed that I'm growing attached and somehow manages it to seem like I'm just being weak or pathetic. or, or um, I'd say I'm just convenient pussy for the guy, but lately we don't even have sex that much. He just wants to cuddle and talk and sing my praises and um, just be around all the time. Um, I recognize that this is fucked up, maybe controlling behavior, but for some reason it's so hard to leave him. And that's the kicker. That's what. I, that's my really my question is. Then I knew the answer. Dump the motherfucker already and get on with it. And I, you know, don't wait around for someone to pull their head out of their ass. But for some fucked up reason, the highs are so high. It's hard to leave him. I feel like it's it's an addiction I can't shake. And that's my question. I was I was just wondering if you could comment on this behavior and um like why this would happen because it'll it'll make it easier for me to move on from the from the guy
0: halfway through your call i was thinking god that dick must be delicious that must be the most delicious dick in the world that must be the dick that shoots vanilla froyo that everyone's been looking for and hasn't been able to find and you found it and then at the end of the call it turns out you're not even having that much sex with this guy anymore he's just coming around to shower you with praise and affection and then shit in your mouth a half an hour later. I guess I don't know what to tell you. I guess I'm going to encourage other listeners to call in and tell you what to do. Cause I don't know what to tell you. Cause you know what I'm going to tell you dump the motherfucker already. It's the obvious answer. It's really the only answer on some level, this charming, charismatic, cruel, sadistic, controlling, sociopathic jerk is just getting off on yanking you around. And there's some emotional need, that you fill. And so he wants you there. He doesn't want you dating anybody else, but he doesn't want you the way you want him. And he doesn't want to give you what it is that you need. And so he asks you to get closer and then punches you in the face. And you know that that's, what's coming each time you allow him into your apartment, each time you allow him into your bed, each time you allow his tongue into your mouth, you know, what's coming in a few hours, the next morning, a couple of days from now, you know, the ice cold, shove you away, cruel, Shit is coming and yet you crawl back into bed with him anyway and you let him into your apartment. Stop. Stop. You know what you need to do? You need to stop. You need to go fuck other people. You need to hang out with some other people. He won't let me move on. You move on. That's not something that you need him to let you do. That is something you do. You go and you move the fuck on. He won't let me leave. You don't need his permission. You just need to go hearing it from me, I don't think that's going to help because you heard, you've heard you heard the same from me so often. You already knew what my advice to you would be. So maybe it'll help if you hear from some Savage Lovecast listeners who can share their own tale of dating a hot and cold charismatic sociopath of woes. So if you have a story to share and some insight for this caller, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Hi. I'm calling in response to your advice to the woman on
4: Podcast 410 who was struggling with being constantly told that uh, she's more into somebody than he is into her. There's this sort of trend, I think especially in 20- and 30-something heterosexual relationships where, um, and, you know, historically it's been, oh, you know, don't sleep with him too soon, he won't respect you. Well, now we have this, this sort of hookup culture where, you know, we feel perfectly comfortable doing this, but at some level guys still end up virgin whoring women who do that. And so the big struggle has been, how do you find a guy who you can totally sleep with early on, who won't slut shame you for it. If you decide you really like him and want more. And I've had this happen in so many relationships where I've had sex at a point where a guy somewhere in his brain thinks that that's too soon for me to be a woman he'd ever take home to mom. And it was so much bullshit. So, what I, my advice to your caller would be to find guys who are into any variety of alt sex, find guys who are poly, find guys who are, you know, super feminist and really on top of their shit who are not going to slut shame you for wanting to have sex after a couple of weeks and who are not going to then discount you as a human being. Hello, Dan is the tech savvy at rescues. This is in response to the call from a woman in episode 410 who had guilty feelings about her drunken adventure with the smoothie breakfast guy. You know, some people will probably call in saying that since she was almost blackout drunk when they had sex, she was not capable of giving consent. Therefore, the breakfast fetching guy is technically a rapist. On the other hand, other people will say that this call shows that having sex with a drunk woman isn't really great and women just need to get over their slut shame and take responsibility for their choices when they have sex that they regret in the morning. I don't know if a person who is drunk or high is capable of consenting to sex. I do know, however, that some men do use alcohol to sexually assault women. I'm not talking about men having sex with women who use alcohol to lower their inhibitions. I'm talking about the guy who target's the drunkest person he can find, who pushes his target to drink more alcohol or sneaks pores into her drink, and who purposefully isolates the woman from other people who may be looking out for her because he knows that a woman who is drunk or stranded or even unconscious is much less capable of putting up resistance. Rather than using alcohol to make a yes easier, these guys use alcohol to avoid or push past no. Men who do this should be thrown in jail, and if that can't be accomplished, then they should be ostracized. Now, taken at face value, I don't think the smoothie guy was one of these predators. But if men are really, really, really worried about being accused of rape, then they should not have sex until everyone involved is sober. When men monitor, restrict, and worry over their choices to avoid being called a rapist, As much as women like your caller monitor, restrict, and worry over their choices to avoid getting raped or being called a slut, then things will start to be fair.
0: And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number at the Savage Lovecast. Give us a call to record a question or comment for a future show. 206-201-2720. Hump, my amateur porn festival, is coming to Minneapolis on September 26th and 27th in St. Anthony's, Maine. I will be there in person to introduce the shows and to meet all of you nice people in the audiences. So please go to HumpTour.com for information about the festival, about entering the festival. If you want to submit a five-minute or less amateur porn film for next year's Hump Festival, just go to HumpTour.com for all of that. And also a big thank you to the Sweet Pea Cafe Tallahassee, Florida, which has on the special board right now the Salad Lovecast, which has arugula and lettuce and radishes, and I assume the special board doesn't say, but I can only assume that the Salad Lovecast is a toss to salad. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth, we'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading